Well, good morning. Uh, my name's Paul, and I'm one of the pastors here. And um, really warm welcome if you're new or visiting. I'd love to meet you later on. Over the last few weeks, we've been looking at a, our series has been in sound doctrine. And today we're going to be looking at a God who is judge. So please pray with me as um, we come to this. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your life-giving word. This morning, transform our hearts to be more in tune with yours. Help us to see who you truly are. Amen. For me, I crave justice. I crave justice for a woman I know who was abused, sexually, emotionally, physically abused by her stepfather. Her mother knew about this abuse and did nothing. And this man just died and never faced justice. We all crave justice, don't we? One writer says that justice is the greatest interest of man on earth. And I really believe it is. Each of us could think of times in our own life where we've had that longing for justice, where we've been taken advantage of, where we've seen abuse happen, where we've seen power being abused. And all we've wanted to do is cry out, where is justice? Well, the Bible, the Bible identifies with this desire for justice. If you look with me on the screen, have a look at Psalm 7 and what the psalmist cries out for. He says, Arise, Lord, in your anger. Rise up against the rage of my enemies. Awake, my God. Decree justice. Let the assembled peoples gather around you while you sit enthroned over them on high. Let the Lord judge the peoples. Vindicate me, Lord, according to my righteousness, according to my integrity, O Most High. Bring to an end the violence of the wicked and make the righteous secure. You, the righteous God, who probes minds and hearts. My shield is God most high, who saves the upright in heart. God is a righteous judge, a God who displays his wrath every day. The psalmist here is is crying out to God to judge and bring justice on his enemies. And we, like this psalmist, yearn for justice. But how do you get justice? How do we find this justice we so often long for well you can only get it from a just judge and this morning we're going to see that that just judge that perfect judge is God and we're going to see two things about God we're going to see that he is just but that he's also gracious God is a perfect judge who is just and gracious but Before we dig into this character of God and see what he's like as judge, it's important for us to do some self-reflection on where we've come over the last few weeks. So what, what have we seen? We've seen that God created the world. He created a beautiful world in perfect harmony. He'd walk amongst the people in the garden in perfect relationship with them, a relationship of love and trust and obedience in a garden that was flourishing, in a good, beautiful creation. And into this beautiful creation, he gave people just one thing, 
one thing not to do. But instead of listening to God's word, they turned their back on God and wanted to be God themselves. They said, stuff you, God. And so we could put the story simply like this, what we've seen. We could say God made it, people broke it. And now God says, people are under the judgment and wrath of God. So when we cry out for justice, it's important to recognize the position we sit in. Because we are a part of the problem. We are a part of this rebellion from God. The Bible is clear that turning your back on God brings judgment. To turn your back on the Creator who loved you and made you only means you stand opposed to Him. And it means He will turn His back on you. It means He will judge you. God is a perfect judge. A perfect judge who can't just sweep the actions of people under the carpet. He demands justice. And so how do we get this justice? Well, it's in a perfect judge who is just and gracious. So let's have a look at the passage that we just saw and we'll see his justice and judgment. We'll see that God does not let any area of rebellion go untouched. Have a look with me again at verse 14 and 15. We can see there... He addresses the serpent. And he says, Cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and eat dust all the days of your life. To the serpent, he says, You will be brought low. You will be the lowest of low. You will be humiliated. But more than that, he goes on to talk about how there's going to be hostility between the serpent, the serpent's family and the woman's family. This verse is depicting a continual unresolved conflict between the representatives of evil and humanity. And this is a part of the judgment of God. As, as I read the New Zealand Herald this week, we could be forgiven for actually not seeing this at all. We could be, you know, front page news story was this. How to avoid traffic on the Queen's birthday long weekend. That was front page news here in Wellington this week. We could be, you know, easily forgiven for actually not seeing this wickedness and evil prevalent in our world. But actually, if we scratch the surface a little bit, we could see that actually this problem is real here. As I looked up some stats from a survey last year, we could see some of these stats, horrific stats. If you look on the screen again, one out of seven young people report being harmed on purpose by an adult at home. Half of all family homicides are related to family violence. One third of women experience physical or sexual abuse in their lifetime. This is all a part of the curse from God. God has handed creation over to wanting to rule for themselves. This is a picture of what life is not meant to be like. But God continues on, doesn't he? He he continues to hand out judgment. Look at what he says to the woman. In verse 16, he says, I'll make your pains in childbearing very severe. A moment of 
meant to be a pure joy and excitement of birth, will be marked by pain. But then he goes on in the second half of 16, doesn't he? He says, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. This verse is describing a change in human marriages, just a change in man and woman relationships. This judgment is a disordering of the ideal, disordering of what relationships is meant to be like. This will involve the desire to compete and dominate rather than to love and to cherish. The desire to win the argument at all costs rather than to serve and to sacrifice. But God doesn't stop there. He goes on to the man. Look at it in verse 17 to 19. And the judgment on the man here is the longest. The man should have heeded God's personal instruction given to him, the words given to him. And what does he say? He says, Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you and you'll eat the plants of the field. To the man, God says, your work is going to be tiresome and hard. Every time you walk out the door and every time you sit down at at dinner at night, you'll be exhausted. You'll be sweat-stricken. But then the next day you'll get up and do it all again. No longer will the ground flourish for you like it did in the garden. But the judgment doesn't stop there. He says in verse 19, the ground that you are working... That is where you will return. From it you were taken and you will return there. The lie of the serpent would have still been ringing in their ears of, you know, eat the fruit. You will surely not die. But God says, yes, you will. You will face death. And, and this curse of death is so vividly seen. We don't have to look too far into Genesis. If we look at chapter 5, you, you would see Adam's family account given And the common refrain there is, what happens to Adam's family? He died. He died. He died. The curse of death is a part of God's judgment on sin. So from the beginning of life, from those moments of a child being born and pain, to the end of life where death reigns, is marked by the judgment of God. These daily curses are a reminder that everything is not well. And, and maybe you're sitting there going, Paul, this is not news to us. Like, this is nothing new. We know this. Let me tell you, these curses that we've seen actually climax in verse 23. Have a look with me there. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. The Lord God banishes man and woman from his sight. No longer are they able to enjoy the intimate relationship with God that they had before. No longer will they walk with God in the garden. They are separated from him. They are separated from the source of life and goodness. This is the ultimate judgment on sin. Because not only will they be separate from God in life, 
but they'll actually be separate from God in life after death. God is saying, not only will you face these daily curses, but even when you die, you'll face judgment. You'll face eternal separation from me. The relationship is severed. There's no way back. And this is even shown in in verse 24 by the, the flashing sword and the angelic soldiers there marking the way that there is no way back to God. This is a picture of a marriage gone terribly wrong. There's no chance of reconciliation, no chance at saying sorry and and just moving on. God, as the husband is saying, get away from me. I cannot be in the presence of rebellion and sin. God is a perfect judge. And his justice says, if you want life without me, then this is what life looks like. Death and judgment. You see, judgment from God is not the idea of paradise lost, but actually presence and access to God lost. Being with God in the garden is what made the garden so good. Life in the presence of God was completely good. Free from pain. Free from brokenness. Free from the the wearisome nature of work. Free from shame. The intimate relationship with God in the garden was magnificent. Beautiful. And I wonder, is that intimacy something that we, we search for today? We crave for. Crave for it in our relationships, in our marriages, in our friendships. We long for that feeling of being loved and cared for so intimately. Well, the Bible is saying the intimacy that we are looking for is only found in God is only found in our Creator. But the problem is clear. The problem is we sit under God's judgment. God is a just judge who can't just forget our rebellion. You see, when God looks at the world, He just sees people deserving of wrath. He sees people who are on their way back to being dust. He sees people who have rebelled against him and are deserving of separation from him. When God looks at the world, he sees it bankrupt, nothing to offer him at all. All he sees is brokenness and shame. God is a perfect judge. And in his courtroom, we all stand accused. We all stand deserving of eternal separation from him. We have severed our relationship with God, turned our back on him, and we all deserve his judgment. Just as the man who committed abuse against the woman I know is deserving of justice, we too are deserving of justice. We have said, stuff you, God. And the only thing for God to do is punish us. the just thing for God is to daily hand us over to these curses. But more than that, the just thing is for him to send us to an eternity without him. 
So when we cry for justice, do we realize the state that we're in as we cry for it? God does not look at us and think, they're good people. He looks at us as a just judge and says, guilty. So let me ask you, are you ready for this judgment from God? Are you ready for justice to be delivered from a just God? This is hard to hear, isn't it? Let me tell you, it's, it's hard to talk about. But like I said at the beginning, we'd see two things about this perfect judge. We see that he is just, perfectly just, but he is also gracious. So this morning there is actually great news because God makes a way for us to back into his presence, to come back into relationship with him. You see, even in Genesis chapter 3, in the garden, in the rebellion, we can see God's grace. I wonder, I wonder, did you see glimpses of it there? Let's, let's have a look back at the passage. Well, the first thing to note is when people turn their back on God, he didn't completely wipe them out. He could have started fresh, but he didn't. And then in verse 21, God's grace is seen again because he made clothes and garments for them to cover their nakedness and shame. You might have missed this one back in verse 9 we see that even though the man and woman were hiding from God, God calls out, where are you? Even in the shadow of the tree where they rebelled, God came searching for them. He took the initiative. He took the initiative even in the garden to go searching for them, to fix the problem of rebellion. But each of these glimpses point forward to another one in there in verse 15. Did you see this one? Where it talks of one of the woman's offspring will crush the head of the serpent. This talks of someone who will come, who will reverse the effects of the curse, who will reverse the effects of this judgment. And we see that at another time in history, where judgment and grace also intercede. The point where God's judgment came to rest on another tree, on a tree that Jesus was killed on, on the tree that God's judgment and wrath were poured out on. Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus on the cross experienced separation from his Father, so that we no longer have to. Jesus took our shame, our brokenness, our rebellion, the judgment that we deserve, the death that we deserved, so that we don't have to. Romans 5, the passage we read before, puts it like this. Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. 
For just as through the disobedience of one man the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of one man the many will be made righteous. Jesus' death on the cross brought justification and life for all people. What does that mean? It means if we are found in Jesus, God looks at us and sees us as perfect, blameless. You might be thinking, what about God's justice here? Well, God is still just, even in this moment. He doesn't fudge the books. He doesn't magically make our rebellion disappear. God is just because he has punished our sin. Judgment has happened for our rebellion. The judgment we were deserving of fell on Jesus. The innocent one dying for us. Taking the punishment we deserved. So when we look back at the cross of Jesus, we can say that God is just. But we can also say he is gracious. We can say with confidence that judgment for our sin, for our rebellion, has happened. Jesus has paid it all. In the, in the movie The Last Emperor, a young boy is anointed as the last emperor of China. And he lives a life of luxury with a thousand servants at his command. And one day his brother asks him, what happens when you do wrong or rebel? And the emperor answered, When I do wrong, someone else is punished. He demonstrates this. He picks up this jar, breaks it on the ground, and one of his servants is beaten for what he did. Well, in Christianity, Jesus reverses that pattern. When the people of the world rebel, when we rebel from God, Jesus is punished for us. Instead of us being condemned eternally for our sins, Jesus is condemned. Jesus takes the judgment we deserve, the innocent one, for the guilty. So because of Jesus, God can now look at us as if we never sinned. It's magnificent. God's just judgment was poured out on Jesus so that we don't stand under the wrath of God anymore. God, the just judge, took the initiative to fix the problem of rebellion, shame and brokenness. And so when he looks at us now, he can see Jesus. And it reminds me of a song um, where these lyrics paint this be- picture beautifully of, of the reality of what this looks like. Have a look at these lyrics of one of the verses on the screen. It says, On the mount of crucifixion, fountains open deep and wide. Through the floodgates of God's mercy flowed a vast and gracious tide. Grace and love like mighty rivers poured incessant from above and heaven's peace and perfect justice kissed a guilty world in love. Do you see it there? God's justice and his grace. God closed Adam and Eve in the garden out of grace and now he is saying, come, come, let me clothe you in Jesus. 
come back to relationship with me. Judgment has happened. Grace is on offer. So this morning, the question for us to consider is, how do we stand before this just and gracious judge? Because there's only two options. If we've come to accept the gracious gift of Jesus and we've been welcomed back into relationship with God, then we are free from judgment and shame. And there is deep comfort for us because we do not have judgment hanging over our head. Judgment is not awaiting us when we die. But then there is great hope that on that day when Jesus returns and he comes to judge evil and bring justice, finally, the justice that I so long crave for, of that man who, was a, who abused the woman I know, justice will happen. He will face the judgment of God. Any of the injustices that we have faced, there will be justice for that. So we have great comfort and great hope, but that should also drive us to action. Judgment is coming, and it should drive us to urgently pray and plead with friends and neighbours and family members to turn to the comfort, the only comfort found in Jesus. We should have eternity on view every day as we wake up, pleading with those around us to turn to Jesus. The only other option is if you haven't turned and accepted the grace found in Jesus, if you are not seeking him, then judgment is coming. As I I spoke to my neighbour, who's a Turkish man, He's a practicing Muslim and he was telling me about how he just finished the month of Ramadan. And he's going about his life unsure whether he has done enough to appease his God. He has no comfort in what life after death brings. This morning God is saying, unless you have come to accept Jesus as your king, unless you have come to accept him and his grace and what he's done for you, you should have no confidence before God. There is nothing you can do to fix that relationship. But likewise, this morning, God is saying, accept Jesus. Accept his grace for you. Turn to him and be free from shame and fear. Turn to God this morning and be welcomed home. Be welcomed back to life the way it's meant to be, in a loving, intimate relationship with your Creator. Let's pray. Just and gracious God, We humbly come before you now, knowing that there is nothing we bring to this relationship. 
we humbly and joyfully thank you for the great lengths you have went to to restore the relationship with us. Every day, remind us of this. And we plead with you, Father, even this morning, that more people, even in this room, would turn to accept the grace found in Jesus. More people in Wellington will turn to find the comfort found only in Jesus. For your glory, we pray.